Why is High School Musical stuck in my head? Which High School Musical song? You gotta go your own way. I love that song. What about us? That's like my favorite. What about everything we've been through? Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good whatever time it is. For you right now, I'm Hannah Bowers, and it is the morning for me. Uh, I am the host of the PAL podcast, which is what you are listening to right now. If you are new to the PAL podcast, the PAL podcast is also pretty new. So welcome. This is a place where we talk about themes that are relevant for creatives growth. And we are all creative. So you don't have to be a professional artist to get something out of this podcast. We are all growing. And PAL is about sharing positivity, authenticity, and love for all of our growth. So welcome. We are here for you. Today, I'm sharing a conversation with a very dear friend of mine, Shayna Woolley, a non-binary Jewish filmmaker and photographer located in LA, which is where I am too. Hello. I was so excited to interview Shayna for this podcast because they are committed to creating art that focuses on the positive and colorful aspects of queerness to move away from the trauma-centered stories that we most often see. Uh, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, that's something that we talk about a lot in this conversation. Shayna's style is full of strong color palettes and vintage aesthetics. So is their living room, by the way, which is where we recorded this podcast. It's really important for me to have these conversations with folks in the places that inspire them and that feel most authentic to them. Um, I recommend just looking up their work because it's so visually interesting and so unique to them. And you just got to see it because words cannot do it justice. But it's super cool. And I've had the pleasure of working with them before, which is always a really amazing time. Today is a very special day, the day that I am recording this, not the day that you are listening to it, which will be in the future. Hope that day is cool. Hope this day went well for me, for all of us. Um, today, Shayna's directorial debut short film, Reasons to Stay, is officially released publicly for free on YouTube to watch. Yes, you can watch it right here, right now. You could even just stop this podcast and go watch it. I wouldn't be mad. I'd hope you'd come back. You'd be like so into it that you'd be like, I want to he hear more about this Shana person. The film is very touching, very heartwarming and about a very important topic, um, which leads me to I wanted to share a brief content warning about the episode today that we are going to be talking about the topic of suicide. So if that makes you uncomfortable, then please respect yourself and sit that part out. Luckily, it's towards the end. So you can get a full almost hour out of this conversation. Um, and when we start talking talking about their short film, you can kind of take that as your cue um, to go pause the podcast and do whatever else you want to do with your life. A couple other things to mention before we get into the episode. We didn't talk about it on the show, but Shayna is the co-producer of a super cool space in LA called The Secret Circus, which is a queer circus. What? That sounds super cool. What? Yeah, it is. Um, so if you're in LA, definitely go check that out. You can look at their Instagram at The Secret Circus LA and go to an event and say hi to Shayna. The only other thing that I want to say in this podcast is I am very aware uh, how heavily I fangirl in this episode. I'm gushing all over the place about how much I love Shayna and how cool I think they are and how inspiring and blah, blah, blah. Because it's true. As I was listening back and editing this, I was like, oh my God, like calm down. Um, but also don't, you know, like love, love with your whole heart. So that's all I'm going to say before I get into this conversation. I'm going to pass it off to a past version of myself, and I hope you enjoy this conversation. I'll see you on the other side. 
Shayna Woolley. Yes. Shay Rose Woolley. What's up? Mammoth Sprite. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting here with my friend Shay, a.k.a. Shayna, a.k.a. Do you go by any other names? Not Mammoth Sprite, obviously. That was... <laughs> yeah. Um, I go by a few other names, but those two are probably good for now. The main names? Main names. Can I know... So Mammoth Sprite is Shay's Instagram handle. Can I know what a mammoth sprite is? This question actually comes from our dear friend, uh, Thomas Rubio. Uh, he submitted a question uh, privately to me because he knew I'd be interviewing you today. And that was the only question. Okay, got he it. Had. It was, what is a mammoth sprite? Well, to be honest, like, I definitely like to leave it up to interpretation. Art. What I meant by it was really that my last name is Wooly. So I feel like Wooly Mammoth has just, like, been a thing throughout my life. So that's where mammoth comes from. And Sprite, because I feel like I am an elfish forest creature. Yeah. So That's very creative. So Mammoth Sprite. Did you think about that or did it come to you? I thought about it. Yeah. I think I, w- I re- actually, I wanted to be hairless Mammoth. Mm. And, I, and I think that that handle was already taken. Hairless Mammoth was yeah, taken? I know. I'm dying to know who's on it. <laughs> honestly, same. I feel like it's one of those people, they've done like one post and I'm like... Why are you, like, hijacking hairless mammoth over here? Because exactly. some people could put it to really good exactly. use. Exactly. Can you imagine? Yeah. Um, so okay. I've, just... I've come to terms and, like, made peace with mammoth sprite Yeah. over hairless mammoth. I really like it. This Thank is, you. It's a recent change, and I'm really into it. Thank you so much. Shayna, I'm going to start with a three-in-one question that I like to start all my podcast interviews with and all my pal small group events with, which is... Tell the people who you are, what you do, and why you do it. Okay. Um, well, I'm Shayna. I am from San Diego. Now I live in LA. I do a lot of things. I guess the, the main things I do is I'm a photographer and a production designer and a director. Awesome. Yeah. Why? Why? (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. Um, hmm. Well, I guess because I think it's really fun. (laughs) Yeah. So you have fun doing what you do. Yeah. Awesome. Yes. Yeah. That is one of the reasons that I wanted Shana to be one of the first guests on the podcast um, is because they inspire me deeply, as I've communicated <laughs> communicated to them quite recently. I can't say enough about it. I kind of wish they weren't sitting in front of me right now. Um, so I could just gush about them. But I gush about them to anyone that I ever meet. Oh I'll find an excuse to bring your name up in a <laughs> I love you. I'm just like funneling all these people to you everyone needs to know shana okay blushing so hard my whole body's blushing (laughs) (laughs) so you do so many things and we have collaborated a lot together and that's one of my favorite things about working with you is you are so you can do anything and you just have this core creativity to you and what i wanted to ask about was what is it like for you to do all these different things and play all these different roles in your artistic space. Yeah. Um, I really like it. I, I think so often I've been told or like I've heard the sentiment 
like pick your lane and stick in it, like especially in the film industry. And I think the idea in, in film is like, if people see you on set and you're a grip, then they're only ever going to hire you as a grip and that's how they're going to know you. So it's like, don't ever work a position you don't actually want to do. Um, and yeah, and I, th I mean, I think a part of me genuinely likes doing so many different things. And I think that's how I've always been. So I really love it. I think that it gives me the opportunity to like, also like rest from one thing. Mm -hmm. Like, um, I, I guess I'd say one of my main role on film sets is as a production designer. And, um, you know, a lot of the projects I work on are like low budget indie um, projects that, you know, are heartfelt and I'm super honored to like be helping tell these stories. And they're super under-resourced, which means I'm working very, very intensely for like, you know, for a pretty small paycheck. But I'm, but, you know, I'm doing it because I love it and it's what I want to do. But I think maybe I did three of those kinds of projects, like back to back, uh, maybe like last month. And I was feeling so burnt out from production design and art department. And then since then, like the, for the past, I don't know, three or three weeks maybe like I've pretty much only been doing grip jobs so I like I really like to have that balance um where it's almost for me makes it so like even when I feel burnt out on something it's like I can take a break from it and do something else mm -hmm. and then regain the excitement to do the thing yeah. that I was at one point feeling really burnt out on that sounds wonderful is that a balance that you organically have found or did it kind of like work out that way or were you like oh. you could finish the question yeah because because I'm just thinking like if I feel burnt out in one thing I think maybe I mentally like assume like I want to do nothing mm -hmm. but it's like oh I don't want to do nothing I just want to do something else I want to use myself in another way so I'm just like was that a natural thing for you um yeah it definitely was not intentional um <laughs> like I didn't have the the conscious thought of like, oh, I'm going to do all these different roles so that when I get tired of one of them, I can just find myself in another one. Yeah. It definitely, it definitely came from the fact that like, I have a lot of interests. Um, and I was pursuing multiple of them at the same time. And to kind of figure out like, okay, which one is going to be my thing. Mm. And I do kind of feel like I, I discovered that because, you know, I feel like I definitely am the most comfortable. And I feel like uh, the best at production design probably of like all the things that I do. Um, but at the same time, I still like enjoy and am interested in the other things. Wow. I have so many questions just based off of what you just said. <laughs> I'm like firing. I'm like, which one do I go with? I'll just like pick one and grab one. Um, but the idea of having one thing in mind that you're like, oh, that's what's going to be like my thing. Like you said, like the lane that I'm going to stay in. When you were, because I don't know about the history of your creative journey, your creative growth. Like I met you when you were already doing all of these things. Was there ever a time that you were like, I'm going to be a director? And then you were like, oh, no, I'm going to be a bunch of different things. Like what, what did that dream used to look like? How did the dream kind of transform to what it is now? Yeah. Um, oh my God. So like so many transformations. Yeah. I feel like, okay, the funny thing is, you know, 
so many people um, change their major a hundred times in college. Mm -hmm. I had the same major all throughout college, Mm -hmm. but I feel like I've changed my, I guess at least my sort of, my idea of what my role is on a film set a million times. So the very first thing I was ever interested in was being a screenwriter. That's how I applied to college was I wrote screenplays. Um, like that was whatever the application it was like you could make a film or you could write screenplays and I was like I want to be a screenwriter I applied to the screenwriting program at USC didn't get in but got into like a different program in the film school so that's one I ended up going to mm-hmm. um but yeah and then at USC I got really into like abstract video art and taking I was really into um like like nature videos like and I thought I wanted to be a nature documentarian Mm -hmm. like my dream was to be a cinematographer for planet earth or like a similar nature show for sure yeah sounds beautiful yeah definitely still would be I'd still be fucking down (laughs) yeah and it's so funny because I would I would like talk about it in this way like like oh how could I ever make this dream come true and my mom would always be like Shana like actually most people don't want to like live in a jungle for like three months and I'm like what do you mean what, why would people not want to do that? <laughs> it's true. You're a very outdoors, outdoorsy person. Yeah. Okay. Then I, after college, I felt, I felt super unsure about the film industry and living in LA, um, just because mm-hmm. of the reputation of it. And I, you know, I felt like I am just kind of a really down to earth, genuine person so just the sort of stereotypes of Hollywood and Los Angeles are very unaligned with, I feel yes. like, who I am. That was the other thing that I wanted to ask you that I was saying earlier that we should talk about, which right. is its whole other question in its own. I don't want to, you know, take you too far off the road, but I don't know if it matters if we stay on the road or not. But it is really interesting that something that I've experienced and that so many people that I know experience is that kind of doubt in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. Do I fit in this culture of Los Angeles? And I feel like something that I love about you is that we've both asked those questions of ourselves for some reasons. We're still here, (laughs) but I think we're like showing people what Los Angeles could be. Mm -hmm. You know, we're kind of shifting that. So you can keep going on your your journey story that you were telling, but how you started questioning if you, your personality, your values aligned with LA and being in the entertainment industry. Yeah. Um, okay. So yeah, basically after college, um, you know, and a lot of my friends in college were film students and naturally, I guess almost all of them were staying in LA to work in the film industry. Of course, it was sort of a given, um, you know, and if you go to film school out of LA, probably the thing you are going to do or are hoping to do is move to Los Angeles to pursue a film career. That's, you know, the most common path, at least for a filmmaker. And yeah, I just felt really unsure um, about my place in Los Angeles and in the film industry. And I also, like I said, I'm from San Diego. I was born and raised in San Diego my entire life. And then I went to college in LA. Like I'd lived in this like 90 mile radius literally my whole life. So I was like, I need to experience other things in other places. And I was convinced that I was like a small town babe, (laughs) given that like both (laughs) San Diego and LA are like huge cities. You are a small town babe to me. (laughs) Thank you. Honestly, thank you. And okay, I really thought I was. Small town babe energy. (sighs) Yeah. So 
I had this goal to like move to a small town. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I went to film school in LA and decided that I my goal was to move to a small town. Mm-hmm. So that's me. Um, <laughs> and then I kind of did that. I mean, I did a few random things. I worked at a summer camp that I is a big part of my life. Yeah. I did a farm fellowship. And then I my dad called me when I was on the farm fellowship and was like, hey, I'm moving to Wyoming. Do you want to come? And I was like, okay, sure. So I ended up moving to Wyoming with my dad the winter after I went to college. So I guess like winter 2017, turning 2018. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I lived in Wyoming, worked on a ski mountain, um, like was a snowboard instructor, which I guess isn't like exactly a small town, (laughs) but it was certainly the smallest town that I had ever lived in. And I got the small town vibe where you see, you know, everyone, Mm -hmm. you see everyone. Yeah. And it just, the, I missed being anonymous. Oh my God. Mm -hmm. I missed like going out to do an errand and not seeing, Mm -hmm. you know, like, and just being by myself in a way, even though I'm surrounded by people. Um, But also the most important realization I had living in a small town was honestly the lack of art and culture. Um, And that's why I was so excited to move back to LA after I lived in Wyoming for six months because like, I remember, I think that was the year Call Me By Your Name came out. Mm-hmm. And obviously I'd heard about it. I was so excited to see it. And it literally didn't play in any of the theaters in Wyoming. Awful. Anyways, that's how I sort of, I guess, had a newfound excitement and appreciation for Los Angeles mm-hmm. and an urge to return was because I missed the diversity of culture, of art, of experiences, of opportunities. Um, so, yeah. So yeah. that's why I wanted to come back. Yeah. L.A. is amazing for that. How do you feel about living in L.A. now? Now? Um, I love L.A. Like, it's home to me. You know, it's like, in a way, like, I've kind of been here for, like, eight years, if I count college, which I sort of don't because, like, <laughs> it's such a bubble. But, yeah, um, yeah it's – I love L.A., for that reason, um, any night of the week, I can find something to do if I want to do it. If I have a random urge to do something, I can probably literally find it al- almost instantaneously. Yeah. What do you think about what we touched on earlier about, you know, this kind of culture in L.A. and how do you kind of like reconcile the industry and the culture that exists here mm-hmm. and making your own at the same time yeah so that question of like like why am I in Los Angeles um or like do I fit in here and kind of do I have what it takes to be here um like it still comes up for me and I guess how I feel like the initial feelings around that were just like I'm really I don't know I'm like kind of chaotic but like I'm also really chill at the same time it's true it's (laughs) true and um and there's, you know, the hustle culture in Los Angeles, I'm sure for, for everyone, no matter what you're doing, I personally experience it within the film industry of just like, you just need to persevere. I'm pretty sure the first day of film school, they said to us, like, look around at your peers, the people who you see here, like whoever's the best in this class, that doesn't mean they're going to make it in the film industry. Like the people who make it in the film industry are the ones who can persevere through all the bullshit. That's literally what they told us on the first day of film school. They told me the first day of music school. They said, look around at everybody. I think they said something like 3% of you 
are going to actually do what you came here for. Right? On the first day. It's like, they okay, tell cool. you. I, I feel really passionately about that because – and what I see both of us doing is sort of like paving our own way and reclaiming our own futures in terms of success, you know, being like our lives can look like this. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't have to look like what you're talking about, about hustle – culture how do you feel about hustle culture yeah I mean I fucking hate it like (laughs) I I also just don't I don't have it in me like I don't it's like I don't know I I do a lot of things and at the same time like I love relaxing like those people who are like oh man like it's so hard for me to like I'm so anxious when I'm not doing anything like not me like I will lay at the (laughs) beach all day like I love not doing anything or like just like reading a book watching tv all day like laying on the beach for hours like I do not have any qualms with doing that good for you (laughs) thank you that's I admire that because I don't you know I'm not proud of it but I am the other way Mm -hmm. you know where I've had to learn how to relax yeah does that come natural I'm genuinely curious that's not practice that's just the way you are that's just the way okay comes very naturally to me oh yeah Um, that's amazing so yeah so anyways I have questioned like do I okay if that's what it takes in order to like quote unquote make it in this industry I don't have that Mm -hmm. I don't just work myself to the bone till I'm miserable Mm -hmm. and that's what it feels that's what hustle culture is to me is working yourself till you have nothing left to give and you don't even enjoy what you're doing anymore Yeah. So like, let's talk about, let's analyze the sentence that you said before that. I don't have what it takes to make it. Yeah. So clearly what you define as making it is different than what other people define as making it because they are working themselves to the bone and unhappy and stressed out all the time. And you are doing projects that you love and hanging out on the beach and not feeling guilty about it. So... (laughs) (laughs) What is what is making it look like to you? The the way I just defined it or Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like yes and financial stresses are not burdening me. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like that's the only piece missing right now, I feel like from my life. Um yeah, yeah like I'm I'm doing okay, but it's just like money is stressful. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like that's my and I feel like so many people around me who are artists, I mean my I guess my kind of dream in life as an artist and as like a creative is just to be able to make my own art and make a living off of it in a way that is just comfortable. Like I don't care about being extremely wealthy. I, whatever, like I don't need any of that. I just don't want money to be something I have to worry about all the time. And right now it certainly is. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's at the forefront of so many people's minds too. You know, I, I feel that same way where I'm kind of, I could live a very different lifestyle and be very more, much more financially stable and secure, but that's not what I'm choosing Yeah, because that would be losing all these other things that I have. And like you said, eventually the goal is to be able to not have to choose, you know, it's just making art. Do you see this too, where people lose sight of the fun of the work and the art of the work because they're like, well, it has to make money. Yes, of course. Oh my God. And, and I mean, and that's another thing that I see, like, I mean, you know, I guess I'll just always kind of be speaking specifically to the film industry, but I'm sure these things probably apply to other ones too. But I see so much of that of people who, you know, come 
get into film because they want to tell stories that they care about and that they want to see in the world and that they think are important. And then just, you know, get trapped in like just whatever they can find that stable work, whether it's like working for brands or I don't know, just it doesn't matter what it is, but it's not what they came here to do. But they get trapped in this cycle of being on projects that are not like fulfilling their to their person or to their soul in any way but you know but you got to make ends meet and and also and I get why some people do that because the hustle just becomes so exhausting that it's not fun anymore and the hustle I guess that I'm talking about in this moment is like trying to figure out ways to work on the low budget indie projects that probably aren't paying enough or at all and balancing those with the projects that just that are pain and finding a way to reach that balance where, you know, you get paid on the work that is whatever, it's a paycheck and you do it. And you also still have time for the work that really fills your soul and you really care about. And it is, and that's where I am right now is trying to find that balance and it's extremely stressful. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Well, I love that that's what you're pursuing because it should not be a choice of, you know, black or white, like, totally not making any money 100% doing things that are all not making any money or doing uh, heartless projects that are making a bunch of money. So I love that you're kind of seeking that balance. And I think it's also really real and good for us to be talking about it on this podcast to show people that like, yes, it's possible, but also, yes, it's a journey in getting there and it's really hard. And here we are, we're doing it and we're trying to figure it out. Yeah. Um, and we're all trying to figure it out together and like supporting each other and figuring out how to do that. So mm. I think you're doing an amazing job. <laughs> I want to know what kinds of, what makes something, what makes the work fulfilling to you? Yeah. Um, I mean, getting to create something that just really excites me, I think, visually. Um, Maybe that shouldn't have been the first thing I fucking said. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. um, But I do, I think, you know, I I think my style as a filmmaker and as a photographer is really, like, highly stylized. So that's one of the things that is immediately fulfilling if I get to work on a project. that I mean, I guess I'm thinking like as a production designer, if like I get to work on a project that I'm just so excited about the vision and about the script and I have so many ideas about like what that can look like and how I can just have a really fun time creating it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, telling a story that I care about that speaks to me in some way or that I can I know will even if it's not exactly like my personal experience, I know is going to impact another marginalized group who you know who we don't get to see stories about ourselves portrayed by us for us you know I guess that's definitely an overarching um theme and the work that feels really fulfilling for me is like either you know telling queer stories or getting to help tell stories by you know people of color and yeah just getting more screen time for everyone who we don't see ourselves on screen enough and just getting to help create or you know sort of lead the charge in creating authentic representations of different groups of people yeah that's so what much of what I admire about you what you do is you are so committed to working on projects that are in line with those really really important values that it's not just a you thing. It's not just like, well, I like this. I think it's really cool. It's like, it's good for society and it's good for art. 
It's like, it makes art better to tell these stories. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I believe that so much, you know, that it's like, you know, it's one way to to look at it as like a diversity checkbox of like, oh, we need more queer stories. But it also is like, we don't just need more queer stories because there's not enough. Like we need more queer stories because they're inherently good and like worth telling and they make the film world better, you know, and just they, they make the art world better when we get to see a more diverse set of voices. Yeah, I see that parallel in the art world and in just life that the queer experience like really opens up perspective yes. to like, oh my gosh, anything's possible. Like I, I don't want to be like presumptuous because you know, I am a queer person, so I don't know what it's like to have um, a straight person experience. (laughs) But what I would assume is that just from my experience growing up and feeling like I had to question a lot of things like my entire life. And I feel like a lot of my peers didn't, Mm -hmm. or if they, they did, it was so, so deep down, they were not conscious about it at all. Mm -hmm. And I think if for people that grow up queer is like, we are used to questioning things and Mm -hmm. seeing what else is possible. And that adds to the beauty of life Mm -hmm. and the beauty of art as well. So I want to know what you think about what, where we are with that now in terms of mainstream art, how do you see queer or other marginalized voices represented in mainstream art? How are, how are they doing? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, my professional opinion. Um, I mean, you know, it's it's so palatable um, for the most part. And, you know, I guess, you know, I'll speak from my own experience. So it's like seeing non-binary representation in mainstream media. There's very limited, you know, opportunities to even see that. And the ones that are there are, are just so, like, palatable. It's, you know, beautiful, skinny, white transmasculine androgynous looking people that's like the sort of pinnacle of like non-binary representation that we see in mainstream media or I mean even in any media um of the very very limited opportunities we have to see non-binary characters I mean it's great that we're even getting that but you know it's like not enough and it just is so I feel like just so trying to cater to um to somebody who isn't really ready to have like their their perception change so we're like trying to give you the most easy way to like experience this new type of person um which I don't know it's like I guess I get it because maybe they would just turn it off if it was too flamboyant (laughs) but you know it's it's really frustrating I think um and that's coming from somebody who, like, I am a skinny, white, transmasculine, androgynous person, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, those people kind of look like me. Right. And and it's, I can't imagine how hard it is for people who are not skinny, are not white, are, you know, don't sort of fit this mold that we've been given of what non-binary looks like. And I guess that is the main reason why I became so passionate about queer representation specifically is because I don't know I don't know if this is really considered later in life (laughs) maybe not later in life but like later in my (laughs) life (laughs) um but I feel like I came out a little bit later like I kind of came out um like after college so I went through like all of high school all of college just being like 
just profoundly confused by myself and by how I related to people. Just felt like a fucking alien all the time. I mean, still kind of do. But, <laughs> but especially then when I was trying to fit into heteronormative social groups and being like, 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 what the fuck is going on here? And why am I so weird? I just thought I was yeah. so weird. Yeah. And I am really fucking weird. But, but, in, but in a negative way. But everybody's really weird, too. Yeah, and I, and I love weirdness. Yeah. Um, but I felt weird in a really bad way. And yeah. in a really just, you know, I felt like there was something wrong with me for a yeah. long time. Um, and I also genuinely had no idea. <laughs> like, I didn't know that I was non-binary. I didn't know that I was even, like, queer, really. Mm-hmm. And... I feel like, because I always watched so much TV um, growing up, and that's, is okay, sorry, we're circling back to so many things. That's really I how I it. got into film, yeah. is I had no idea what to origin study in college. Story. Yeah, origin story. <laughs> back to the beginning. Yeah. And honestly, my mom, when questioning me about, like, what I would want to study in college, I was like, I have no idea. I don't even want to go, really. Um, but that would not be an option for my mother, who is a college counselor. Um, so Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> So my mom was like, well, you're my only kid who I've ever had to set limits on around like the amount of time you spend watching TV. Like, what if you studied film? And I literally was like, what? Like, you can do that? Right, right, right. right. Um, So that's how I got into film. That's cool. Um, But okay, yeah. So the how I got interested then in queer representation specifically is because I felt like I never saw anyone who looked like me and at least not in a positive way. You know, like I remember the I think the first um time I ever saw like lesbians or like queer women in a TV show was like Degrassi, which I was way too fucking young to watch probably, but that I'm an older show sister. Right? Remember in Paige and I forget her best friend's name, but there was this there was this couple, this like lesbian moment in Degrassi and I just re- I don't really remember what happened but I remember it was bad and it yes. was like everyone's really upset that There's these girls so much are together. Shame in that show? Yeah. That show is the reason that I carry so much oh shame, my God. honestly. Like, so it's, yeah. it's like the media we watch impacts us so intensely without us even knowing. Yeah. And I, yeah, I think that I felt like, wow, if I had positive representations of queerness growing up, I would have figured out who I was so much sooner and that would have saved me so much heartache and so much confusion and so much feeling like there's something wrong with me when like I actually just didn't have the language or the community to describe myself and feel wonderful about myself. Yeah, I completely agree. And I'm curious, so you said, you know, we're kind of in this phase now where the mainstream media is doing something, Mm -hmm. you know, like it exists. And I would say we've gone from the era of, like, making it – first of all, it didn't exist at all. Mm -hmm. And then I feel like it existed in a this-is-not-okay way Mm -hmm. and then maybe existed in a – and I am not an expert in queer film at all. This is just my experience. And then it was, like, kind of a joke. Mm -hmm. And then – there was this like struggle with like shame around it. And like now we're in the palatable stage. Yeah. Where it's t- like, oh, look, no, we're making it normal. Yeah. And it's like you're making part of it normalized. Totally. Yeah. And then, you know, and there are examples like I feel like Pose is an amazing example of like, you know, some really like authentically queer stories being told by people who have experienced them or similar things. 
Um, but it's just, there's just not enough. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you know, I think we have a long way to go. I also think that indie film is, I mean, is probably the best way, definitely, I would say, watching indie film is the best way to experience authentic queer stories mm -hmm. because there aren't as many gatekeepers um, in independent film, you know, which is why we're allowed to actually tell the stories we want to tell without being having our corners rounded out and polished and buffed by some producer with a lot of money who's like, yeah, great story, make it gay, but how about the girl dies in the end? Like, yeah. or whatever. Lay girls. <laughs> I don't even think I saw that one. No, it was it was the plot of uh, the L word. Oh yeah, yeah. oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> like you're describing the the plot of the L word. Got it. Yes. Play girls. Yeah, exactly. There oh, you go. Oh wow, so many emotions. As far as mainstream, you recommended Pose. I would love to know, like, Shana's top picks. <laughs> For like things people can see, so they're like, oh my gosh, like yay queer joy, yay queer representation. I'm not alone. Like yeah, um, oh my god, what's this show called? I literally always call it the Almond Show. Oh oh, oh 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 with Abby. Yeah, uh, that's how it's called. I just think of it as the work Almond in progress. Show. Yes, thank you. I love that show. I'm so sorry, any work in progress fans. Don't know why that name won't stick in my head. It's the just the Almond, Almond show. show. It's the Almond Show. Anyways, so I recommend the Almond Show, also known as Work in Progress. It's on Showtime. Yeah, it's on Showtime. Um, I don't know what else. Like, it's so sad, but it's like, I, oh, I recommend Generation on HBO. I really liked it a lot. I was bummed that it did not get picked up for a second season, but I, I was one of those things. I actually watched it over like like Christmas break with my family over like three days. I mean, my family did not watch it. I watched it by myself at nighttime. <laughs> um, but I really liked that show. I thought it was, yeah. And I think it had like a young queer showrunner, which is really cool. And then in terms of being exposed to indie films, mm -hmm. how, because I like, I don't know. I know when like my friends like you share your films and it's like, oh, go watch it here. Mm -hmm. Is there like a place like yeah. a Netflix or yeah. like a hashtag on like Vimeo like how can we watch these indie films yeah um so Outfest which is like one of the biggest queer film festivals has a platform I think called Outfest now or it's just like Outfest on demand platform you know so you can I mean those are all queer films that you can watch um I assume it's probably cheap <laughs> to subscribe to that. Then I'd, I'd recommend um, like Short of the Week, which is, I don't know, they just share shorts, I think even more daily. I think it started as weekly, but now it's like picked up a lot more. Um, yeah, and just, I mean, following indie filmmakers, yeah. you know, they'll sh we'll share about our work and right. sh show you where to watch it. But like definitely local film festivals is a great way to see independent film work. Yeah, it's I understand that it's hard for um, for people who aren't indie filmmakers to access indie yeah. films. Yeah. I mean, a lot of filmmakers will just release it eventually, like for free on YouTube or Vimeo, and especially finding quality ones, because like, I'm not gonna lie, there's a lot of indie film that has really low production value, which for me, as you already heard when I said the first thing that interests me to project is thinking mm -hmm. the visuals are going to be good. Yeah. Um, I care a lot about the way a film looks. Yeah. Well, you love, like, that's something that I admire about you is you just have such a good eye and it's hard to be on a 
podcast with you because I just want to show everybody like, look what Shay made. Like, just go look at Shay's Instagram oh right now. I was as we talked about at mammoths, right? Like, go look at it, please. Um, it's so. Be- I'm we're sitting in Shay's living room right now, actually, um, which is freshly painted. Uh, it's giving me pink lemonade vibes. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. It's pink, pink and yellow. What what gave you that idea? Pink and yellow. I love that. Also, the cans of paint on this bookshelf Thank is the vibe. We're in transition over Two. here, yeah. always, but especially now. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I honestly moved into this apartment because there's this like vintage fireplace that's bright yellow. I wish I, you could see. You guys could see the it's fireplace so right cool. now. It's, it's, yeah, it's really cool. So I, I literally moved into this apartment for the fireplace. So. And LA does not need fireplaces. No, you don't. We do not. Is that a real fireplace? Yeah, it works. I oh mean, my it's God. gas, but I use it during the cold, cold oh, LA winters. That's sick. It's I've never seen. Sometime. We'll turn on the fireplace. Why have I never been over when it's cold? Because we live in Los Angeles. (laughs) (laughs) Right. That makes sense. There you go. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so honestly, this whole color palette is based off the fireplace. I just love the color pink, which is very funny, kind of, because it's so like stereotypically feminine. Mm -hmm. Um, But I consider myself a very feminine person, despite being like non-binary, trans-masculine, kind of. Um, well, that's what I think is so awesome, yeah. you know, like as we we're talking about the queer experience, like showing you what's possible, mm-hmm. it's like, oh my gosh, like I can like the color pink and yes. like be all of these things at the same time. Absolutely. I feel like I'm learning more of those things like about myself every day. And that's yeah. why I've, I've loved being friends with Shane is because they, <laughs> you inspire me to ask questions about myself, mm-hmm. um, which reminds me that I would love to also bring up bring up the article that you wrote a few years ago that I read this morning um, because I think that that's really important. And I would love to hear you kind of talk out loud about maybe not that experience specifically if you're tired of talking about it, but um, you know, some big lessons that you've learned now at the place that you are, you know, we're always learning, we're always growing. Um, But what has been a big learning moment or learning experience for you in understanding who you are, the expression of you, your identity, and all of these things. Yeah. Um, okay, wait. What's the first part of the question? Like, I don't even know. Oh, God. I just asked it all. At, I wasn't uh, – okay. I it entered – I channeled well, something. It was just like, how did I get here? Or like, what was no. that experience like? Or what just, are things I, I've learned along the way? I just wanted to know like a key, a key learning, like a key experience – a key story. A key story. Um, a, a key lesson of like, you know what? I've asked myself all of these questions. I'm learning about myself all the time. These are some some big things that I've learned. Wow. Okay. Um, Is that a tough question? Kind of. Should I break it down? Uh, I'll just start talking and you can let me know how it goes. <laughs> um, I guess. Um, okay. And like specific to the article a little bit. Yeah. Well, Okay. Here's something that I kind of a phrase that I got from an artist um, named Archie Bongi. I cannot say their last name. It's, I think, very Italian. But they're uh, Baby Wrist on Instagram. Um, they're a comic, queer comic artist who I really love. And I think they have a zine called Don't Overthink What Feels Good. 
And I feel like that phrase has just always really stuck with me of like, don't overthink what feels good. I think that they meant it maybe specifically in like a kink or like sexual setting Mm -hmm. is like, you don't need to feel shame around your kinks. But I, and absolutely yes to that. (laughs) But also I feel like I just really kind of apply it to like every aspect of my life. Um, Yeah. And I think, I think I would say for quite a few years, I, I really specifically struggled with like my gender identity and like my gender queerness um, and like struggled because I was really confused about it. I, I really struggled with my body. Like I just like grew huge tits when I was like 13 and was like, what the fuck are these? Um, no fucking thank you. you know? and, and then, and I knew literally I think at the age of 13 is when I started asking my parents if I could get breast reduction. Mm -hmm. And I knew about breast reduction because, you know, just other... Degrassi. (laughs) Degrassi. Um, (laughs) And, like, other... Probably. But other, like, people in my family, it just, like, had big boobs and got breast reduction. So it was just, like, available to me, just the idea of it, at least. Um, So I always, like, knew I wanted that. I always just felt... Ever since puberty, I just felt so, so uncomfortable in my body. And and it was and then the concept of breast reduction or getting any kind of surgery to change myself was something I struggled so intensely with, like honestly, almost on like a daily basis for many, many years. Because when I kind of finally got to an age where like I was 18, I could I mean, you know, it costs money, but like that's the first time I went to go get a breast reduction consultation to like learn, really genuinely like learn about it. Okay, like what do I need to do? Um and then when I I guess it actually became like, even if it was a sort of far off, it became a possibility to me. I then just really began questioning like my personal ethics around having any kind of like plastic surgery Mm -hmm. because, you know, there was such an idea, I guess, kind of going back to like the LA culture of like, like, that's not me. Like, I'm not somebody who changes my body. Like, why do I want to change my body? Like, because people told me like, that like my purport I'm very short and had really big boobs like because society told me my proportions are weird and like I would just like go into these thought circles so deeply about like am I an am I like am I a hypocrite if I go and like change my body when like I'm trying to reject patriarchy and like misogyny at all times and then am I actually just feeding into it if I go and like change myself in some way because like, and, you know, and so it made me think so hard, like, why do I want to change my body? Um, And, you know, and at one point, I sort of decided, like, I guess it's like, because society told me that, like, the way I am is not okay. And I'm trying to mold myself into a more, like, palatable version of, I mean, I think at the time, I thought I was a woman. So like, I was like, okay, I need to I'm trying to shrink myself as like a young woman because society told me that's what I'm supposed to do. And so I need to like reject that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So then I sort of went through this phase where I was like, I'm not having surgery. I don't need it. Like I'm empowered in my own skin. And then just after that sort of like, kind of like fire and like passion that, you know, was happening like all internally. I don't know that I shared any of this with really anyone. But like, just like after that kind of wore off, I just was like, fuck, I still feel super uncomfortable all the fucking time. I still really do not like having big boobs and I still wish I didn't have them. And then I 
just got to, and you know, and then at some point I, you know, became familiar with non-binary as a concept was like, holy shit. Yeah, it's definitely me. I never liked being a woman. I just thought I had to be one. Um, And, you know, never felt any connection to womanhood. I just had no idea there were other options, you know, and because I thought the other option was, oh, you're a binary trans man, which I also was like, no, I'm definitely not that either. Anyways, so, yeah, I think, you know, when I sort of came, I guess, became aware of the fact that I was non-binary and also, I guess, started thinking about my discomfort with my body really as like dysphoria um, I don't know, I guess maybe that kind of allowed, like gave myself the permission to d- just like do it and change myself. Um, and yeah, but I, I think at this point it doesn't, I didn't need to be non-binary to have surgery. Like I think I have a, while I do kind of consider myself like down to earth and like, I don't know, like <laughs> definitely not like an LA stereotype in at least the most traditional sort of Hollywood LA stereotype like lip plumper girl type of way Mm -hmm. Um, like I just it's like I overthought what it meant for me to have breast reduction so intensely for so many years and it was just like don't overthink what feels good like if you want it and it's going to make you happier then do it and there's nothing else to it in a way yeah well it seems like you kind of like thought yourself out of it and did questioning which is like this is what society does to us it's like it gaslights us into thinking like wait is this what I want yeah or is this what I I'm brainwashed to think that I want so it's like by trying to be rebellious Mm -hmm. you were rebelling against yourself yeah like which society will teach us to question our intuition Mm -hmm. and that's when anxiety kicks in and you're like I don't even know what's real anymore. And I don't know how to find what feels good. The yoga with Adrian version of arch, arch uh, Archie, Archie. I didn't. Yeah. Okay, cool. Of Archie, the comic. Um, don't overthink what feels good. It's like, we get so bogged down with everybody else's opinions and fear of their perceptions of us that we are detached from what feels you know, mm-hmm. and we can only become what thinks. Mm-hmm. And when we overthink it, it stops becoming true to us. It just becomes a theory mm-hmm. or an abstract. It's not about us anymore. It's not about our identity. Yeah. When how we figure out how to express our identity and feel comfortable with our identity is through our feelings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. And it's, you know, of course, I think like self-reflection is really important I don't know. I, I think it was important that I like went through that process. I don't think I needed to struggle with it for so many years or I I just like wouldn't wish that upon anyone. Right. It was really hard for a long time. Right. Right. But like, you know, I guess to some degree, like, of course, thinking deeply about why do I want this? Is it because it's something I truly want or is it because it's something I've been told I'm supposed to want? Mm-hmm. Which again, I feel like can be applied to like anything and everything. And I think yeah. those are really important questions to ask. And I hope for myself and for everyone else that, you know, we can come to the conclusion a little faster and it doesn't need to be such a painful period for such a long time. Well, so what would you say to a past version of yourself or somebody that was going through this now that was struggling with those thoughts to be like, is there a shortcut? Like, is there is there a piece of wisdom? Are there words or questions or practices 
that can save us some time in that process? Yeah, it's, I mean, the sad thing is like, I don't, I don't necessarily think there is because ultimately like you can only come to those conclusions yourself. And it's like, sometimes you do need time. And of course, I think before any big decision, I would certainly say getting a surgery to change my body is a big decision. I think any big decision, you should absolutely think deeply about it. And I'm glad that I did. And I guess I just wish it didn't take me so long. But I don't know what I could have said to myself other than like, you're going to figure it out. Like you're going to come to a decision. You're going to figure out what makes you most comfortable, what makes you most happy. And it might be hard for a little bit, but eventually you're going to get there. So, because I totally agree. There's no solution. You have to come to terms on your own way. What do you think maybe that you could have used? What would you have liked to hear? What would you have enjoyed a wiser, kinder, more aligned, you know, person that you just respect so much to just say to you in that moment that might just at least make you feel a little bit better? Yeah. Well, I guess that plastic surgery or changing yourself doesn't make you a bad person. Mm. Like, I guess it was like there was such a, for me, there was such a huge stigma around getting a plastic surgery. And that is, I feel like, what felt like such a barrier for so long because I was like, I'm not a person who gets plastic surgery. Like, if I get plastic surgery, like, what does that say about me and my character? And the answer is it says fucking nothing about you and your character. Like, they're not related, you know? The story that you write about what it means to be a person that does this. Yeah. That's another one of those things that's detaching us from ourselves mm-hmm. when we try to step into the shoes of the person that's looking at us totally and I, I mean so yeah I guess it's like I was so and it's like why was I so concerned about what kind of person gets plastic surgery because I was thinking what are other people going to think about me and like how is this going to change other people's perception of who I am once they find out that I've you know been to a plastic surgeon mm-hmm. um and like you know I think the answer is anyone thinks differently of you for that they can fuck right off and you don't need them in your life you know like yeah so I guess it was it was such a concern around the way people were perceiving me and and it I was so I cared so much more about how I would be perceived by others than how I literally felt in my body yeah that's that's the core of it right there like that's the first signal yeah is how we feel in our bodies yeah So, yeah. And, you know, and I guess in a way, I don't, I've never necessarily made this connection specifically, but like this whole experience of me like struggling with like my gender identity and struggling with having a surgery to like, you know, reduce my boobs. um, It's like if I had seen a character on TV go through this, yeah, that would have really fucking helped. You know, maybe then it wouldn't have taken so long for me to figure it out. And it's like, I feel that way, sure, about having breast reduction, you know, and then like the article you mentioned a little bit ago, what that goes into is that like, then after I had breast reduction, I was like, wait, did I want top surgery? But I just didn't think I was allowed to get it. Mm -hmm. And that's honestly still a question I sometimes ask myself. Um, And yeah, it's just like if I, and that's why I wrote that article was because I struggled with this for so many years and even I, I wouldn't say I like really struggle with it, but some time to time I come back to it and I wonder if maybe I'll get top surgery in the future. Um, 
so yeah, it's like I wrote this little kind of, I guess, personal essay about my experience going through all of this because I knew it would have helped so much for myself if I could have read a non-binary person's experience deciding to get breast reduction and then even having some second thoughts maybe about if that was even the right surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that is the thing probably that would have really helped shorten this period of time is if I knew anyone else going through this because I didn't. You know, the only people I knew who had breast reduction were cis women and and they were very sweet and helpful and supportive and at the same time, like, we weren't going through the exact same thing because, like, we kind of wanted breast reduction maybe for different reasons. You know what you saying this is, is reminding me of I um, people talk about how every person that we meet in the world serves as a mirror, you know? So it's like I'm talking to you and I'm holding up a mirror and you're seeing yourself through that mirror and I'm talking to you and I'm seeing myself through the mirror that you're holding. And you were desperately looking for a mirror that you related to, but you all you could find was mirrors that told totally different stories. Mm-hmm. And if only you had a mirror that you could relate to. how much easier that would be yeah I guess I you know I guess that is like the core of why I care like so deeply about queer representation is because you know I think if I saw positive and joyful and I don't know if we've really touched on that but like that's my main passion and my main goal in the queer stories I tell is that they're joyful and they're colorful and they show queer people fucking thriving because we all need to see that, you know? And um, I think that if I had seen that earlier, or even if I had seen people struggling in the same ways that I had struggled earlier, I would have struggled less. Um, and and I guess this also goes back to the question you had about mainstream media. And I talked about how, you know, it's like so palatable. But the other thing about it that honestly really, really saddens me and upsets me is that Pretty much all of the mainstream queer media that exists is very painful. The experiences that are being shown on screen are queer people who are struggling, are queer people who are in so much pain, whether it's like being rejected from their family, a really intense and heartbreaking love experience, you know, being hate crimed, like whatever it is, or just, you know, having a really hard time being queer and while I can absolutely say there are important stories of marginalized people struggling that should be stories like I'm of course they should exist I just wish there were as many happy stories as painful ones and that is not the case at all like it's so hard for me to watch it basically if I want to see a queer person on screen I know that I'm going to embark in a really intense emotional journey with this character because that's how queer characters are written. And that's what I want to do. And that's what I do do. And that's what I'm always trying to do is like write and create and photograph queer characters who are just happy because some queer people are actually happy, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Well, and that that, like that's the mirror that I want to see. You know, because it is important to tell these stories so that, you know, maybe we we see that struggle and we can be like, oh, yeah, someone understands it. Or another person can be like, oh, wow, yeah, I'm, I'm seeing I'm empathizing now with this experience that I haven't had. But like you said, that there's no balance to it. Yeah. And not queer people have 
every experience, you know, mm-hmm. we, they monopolized every genre <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> of, of movie and every emotion that can be experienced and queer people get the tiniest little slice of just trauma. trauma. <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> your trauma slice. Exactly. Yeah. And it, and I think that that is another thing. Um, and I think it's something that like, that I see with queer kids and I don't spend that much time with queer kids, but like I, I work at a summer camp um, usually every summer. At, the, at one point, I would go for like 10 weeks, but now, you know, maybe I'll go for two weeks or three weeks. It's called Camp Tawanga. It's an extremely special place. Shout out. <laughs> um, we love them. Yeah, and I, I go and I'll go for two weeks and be the counselor for like an all-gender cabin where we'll have, you know, we tried to create a really intentional safe space for like queer and trans children um, to thrive at summer camp, which is historically a very gendered place, like girl side, boy side. Yeah. We're like, hmm, how is this affecting the trans kids? Thought a lot about it, tried to create a solution. Um, so in my work with trans kids, there's the context, I guess. <laughs> um, I I also, I don't know, I like I feel like I see the way that they attach themselves to the pain and struggle of queerness because that's all they see as a possibility when like I it is hard to be queer in many ways you know and I'm, I'm sure for queer and trans children it's hard and we see all this shit happening with like legislations around what trans kids are allowed to do that shit is very hard and I'm not trying to say it's not and at the same time I I feel like it would make such a difference in these kids' lives if they saw queer adults thriving and happy and could attach themselves to that narrative and say, like, that's what I want for myself or that's what my future can be, rather than, like, you know, seeing an older queer person on TV who's maybe going through something similar than them or in the same amount of pain that they're already in. Like, yeah, I just... It's hard. <laughs> we need more joy. Yeah. We need to show we need to show people that joy is possible. Yes. From a young age. Yeah. I see your, I just want to like make a Netflix that's like all queer joy. Yes. <laughs> absolutely. Well, I feel like that's like so much of the projects that you work on. Yeah. Can we talk about um I have no idea how long we've been talking, but I do want to talk about, you know, projects of yours that have meant a lot to you mm-hmm. um i know most recently notably we have the reasons to say film yeah. so if you mm-hmm. want to talk about that or if, or if there's another project that you're like actually i feel more passionate about sharing this but yeah. um i'm happy to talk about that one i think it is a little bit funny because i feel like what i kind of like attach myself to in the work that i create as i said is like light-hearted queer media that is joyful and reasons to stay which is the first film i directed with a co-writer and co-director ezra lee who's wonderful um, yeah 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 but like that is a suicide prevention project which you know right off the bat that sounds heavy that sounds intense and of course anything relating to suicide is heavy and intense and at the same time i think that might be the most lighthearted portrayal of like that subject yeah. um so yeah, I Having think... Having seen it, it is, like, it, it makes you feel really, really good. Yeah, good. And, like, that was the goal, was even though I want to tackle this very intense subject because I'm a person who's dealt with suicidal ideation and that's how I ended up, you know, writing the story, um, 
you know, it was a period in my life where I thought about suicide a lot. Mm-hmm. And I kind of felt like I knew I never had a plan to to actually go through with it, but it just was something I thought about a lot. I felt like I could understand why somebody would end their life in a way that before I just like was kind of like, why would anyone ever do that? Like you have everything to live for. There's so many possibilities in life. Like that was sort of my perspective, I feel like for a long time. And then, you know, I got to a point where I was like, oh, actually I see why somebody would make this decision. And that was really scary, obviously, to to have that realization and to just be at that low of a point where I could understand why somebody would choose to no longer stay, why somebody would choose to leave forever. And yeah, and so this story, honestly, I wrote um, first like in the notes app of my phone at like three in the morning. The best Um, ideas are in your notes app. At At three in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And yeah, and I mean, as a very visual storyteller, I the I just to be honest, it was many, many years ago at this point. I think maybe it was in 2018 or 2019 that I first wrote the idea of this. And what the first thing I wrote is like, and I okay, the first thing I wrote was something like a hand comes into frame from above and changes the time on a clock that's made of cardboard by taping a new number over the existing numbers. Like, I don't know. That's just what... very visual, but that like speaks to like, yeah. how you come up with ideas. Yeah. So that is usually how I come up with ideas is like, there's like one very specific visual, how it came to me. Okay. This is like, feels so cliche, but I honestly think that that visual came to me in that sort of, um, in that like liminal space um, <laughs> between like sleeping and waking. Yeah, no, yeah. but like for real, I think it's like, I don't, you know, I'm definitely an insomniac. Sleep is hard. It's very hard for me to wake up, but it's also very hard for me to fall asleep. Mm-hmm. Um, Both sides. Yeah. Not easy. So. Except maybe the sleeping Yeah, that part, part for me is good. Good at sleeping. Good at sleeping. Cool. Bad but at the other parts. The beginning and the end. Not good at those. Yeah. Um, You're a doer. Yeah, I guess so. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so basically, I think that that little image came to me when I was having a really hard time falling asleep, and I kept almost falling asleep, but then kind of waking up. So it was kind of like I was dreaming, but I wasn't really asleep yet. And I kept sort of seeing that hand. Oh my God. Okay, fuck. Sorry. Now I'm like... I guess that's what I really needed to see at that point. Cause at that point is when I was thinking about suicide every day. Um, and it's like, and I saw this weird vision of like a hand changing a clock, which then, you know, sort of instigated me to write this script called reasons to stay, mm-hmm. which is about, you know, finding a reason to stay and sort of the kind of like, I don't know, thesis of the film is like, you don't, you don't need to know what your reason to stay is. Like, you just have to hold on long enough to know that you will find one. And, like, one day you're going to find one, even if you don't know what it is right now. Yeah. So you just got to stay long enough to get there. Can I ask, was that the experience that you had? Was that the realization that you had? Did you find in your own life a reason to stay? Or did you come to the realization of, you know what, maybe there is going to be a reason. You know, I can't say that, like, any of this was conscious. Con- conscience? Conscious. Okay. I can't say any of this was <laughs> conscious. Um, you know, like, I don't... Yeah, I don't... 
I can't give you a moment in which I, I realized like, I'm going to find a reason. I mean, I don't know, I guess maybe when I first wrote this script and in a way, I guess that was like the moment that I knew I would find a reason again, even if I wasn't able to sort of identify what it was in that moment. That feels super meta. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Reasons to stay was your reason to stay. I guess so. But And then the other thing is like what felt so – like so I – we didn't get into any LA film festivals, which ended up being an amazing blessing because it Mm. um, like – empowered me to make my own screening for this film because I knew you know the only way that people were going to see this film on a big screen which is how every filmmaker wants their work to be seen Mm -hmm. um, was if it got into a film festival in LA that I could invite my friends to so when we didn't get into any I was like okay well I want my friends to see this on a big screen you know and I want to be in my community sharing this film on a big screen so I guess I got to just like make my own event um and then I did, and it was amazing and special, and so many amazing people were part of it, and I feel so intensely grateful for, like, all the people who came together to make it happen. Um, but, like, that night was, like, I feel like that is, like, what I was dreaming about when I was so depressed, like, living in my grandma's basement when I wrote when I wrote Reasons to Stay mm-hmm. for the, you know, the first version of it, um, is that I longed to... I, you know, to direct a project and share it on a screen in front of people who, you know, who loved it and who supported me and, like, build community around the art that I create and be celebrated. Like, I feel like that was, like, really what I longed for at that time, and that's what felt so impossible. Mm. Because I think at that time I was, like, you know, I was a PA. I was, like, PAing for free probably, Um which a PA is a production assistant, which is basically just the lowest of the low on a film production. You just get pushed around. You get like big love to all the PAs out there. It's not an easy job. Nobody, yeah, like nobody respects you. And yet you are being asked to do 5 million things at once or, or you're just sitting around doing nothing, but there's like no in between. I don't know. It's, it's really hard. Um, and not very enjoyable in my experience. So it's like, I was like, had these big dreams to like screen my own work that I made. And instead, like I was volunteering to basically be a bitch to some random people who I did not give a shit about the stories they were telling. And that's also how I got into directing. It's because I worked, I was an assistant or a production assistant on so many films where genuinely I was like, no, I actually don't think this story needs to be in the world. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like we're fine about this. Yes, you like might be doing a, a disservice. That, actually, that's just how I felt, and it's like when I see how hard people work on a film set, which is incredibly hard, and it's so many people getting even on the smallest film sets, it's at least you know five or ten people like working so intensely, passionately, and hard to tell the story. It is such a feat to finish a project. I'm literally so proud of any person who has ever made a film, no matter how it turned out, because that is such a fucking like thing to celebrate. It's a really hard thing to do. Um, anyways, so it's like we were all working so hard to tell these stories that I just, they just felt stale to me. They didn't feel like, I mean, I guess I'm being an asshole, obviously, by saying these stories didn't need to be in the world, but <laughs> I didn't need them in my world, at least, Word. okay? Word. 
And that's why I was like, maybe I should actually, I had a free, this is so funny. Uh I had a free consultation with a life coach so randomly. And I was like, sure, I'll talk to a life coach. Don't know what that means or what that is, but okay, I could use some life coaching right about now. Yeah. And so I was talking to them and literally the life coach was like, well, it sounds like you want to write and direct your own films. And I was like, no, I don't. I'm not interested in that. I was like, no, I, I want to be a production designer because at that point, mm. I ha- that's the what I had sort of landed on. Yeah. I was like, no, the one I, track mind. The one track mind. I was like, no, I want to be a production designer. I don't want to write and Couldn't direct my do own. do anything else. Yeah. And, um, and this was after I wanted to be a cinematographer but decided, never mind, I don't want to do that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the, the life coach is the first person who implanted that idea into my head. Um, yeah, thanks, life coach. I know. Don't even remember the person's name. I'm so sorry. But they really <laughs> impacted. Yeah, they really did. One but free session. Damn. Life coaches are the ultimate mirrors. For that's same, true. Same with therapists. Yeah. So yeah, this life coach, I guess, changed my fucking life. Damn. If the sentence starts with, it sounds like. Odds are you're probably gonna get some real truth thrown yeah. at you right there. So yeah, it sounded like I wanted to be a writer director. I but did not kick, agree. It didn't kick in in that moment. Did it kick in later? Like I think. It, I mean, I wouldn't say it kicked in in that moment, but I'd say maybe in the months leading up to that is when I is when I decided I want to try this yeah. because I'm tired of the projects I've been working on and. I want, because it's like, I, I was like, okay, I want to be a production designer who like works on joyful queer projects. And that even is still really hard for me to find because, and it, and I'm not trying to shit on the amazing queer filmmakers who I've worked with or who are making films right now that are traumatic, but that's still mostly when I get to work on a queer film, most often there is a lot of trauma involved in the story and they're important, but I'm just tired of them. Yeah. I'm tired of reliving queer trauma yeah. through the stories that I am a part of making. So and I was I like, that. fuck, I guess I really got to write some shit on my own if I want to see it. Yeah. All of these things are like such huge messages that like pushed you closer and closer to what I would say like your purpose or your calling is. Like that it's very uniquely yours. Mm-hmm. Like it's more than just I want to direct and write my own films. It's like you phrased it so perfectly earlier, not even just about queer joy, but about community and engagement and, you know, showing people possibilities and being a part of something that like you truly believe in, like just this um, perfect uh, amalgamation of what is you. So I feel like we've come really full circle from the very beginning of the conversation to now because we started the conversation with, oh my God, I do so many things. You know, I wear all these different hats, do all these different projects, but there is this amazing, beautiful core to them that is you. And what I feel like is mm-hmm. your, well, it's not just one purpose, like it is this core that is you. you. You're all <laughs> cool. To close out the conversation, I would love to ask you if there's any final words that you want to share with the listener, any wisdom that you want to share of things that you have found on your creative journey, your human journey. What is maybe just like one little piece of wisdom that you would share Hmm. with somebody? A lot of times. Um, when this question gets asked, you know, the, the filmmaker talking will say, 
just just get out there and just make stuff. Like, just go make stuff. Uh-huh. Okay? Like, you just got to put your work out there and, like, never stop creating. And that always really pisses me off when I hear people say that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm... <laughs> I've heard that my fair share of times too. Like, and I, but because I don't know, it just means nothing to me. It just frustrates me. Because you're like, I'm gonna make, duh. Well, but also, but not even duh. But I'm like, okay, but where do I start? Like, because mm. like that just, I don't know. I feel like hearing that, especially. I mean, I still feel like I'm. I certainly am like a young filmmaker early in my career. But like, especially at the very, very beginning, when that's the advice somebody gives me, I'm like, okay. <laughs> Great, thanks. I'll go fucking do that. How do I make a fucking film, you dick? I'm sorry. Um, So, I don't know. I guess maybe my advice to, like, try to inspire creativity and anyone who feels like they're struggling with that is, like, I mean, definitely, like, just enjoy art and, like, see what art really just, like, makes you feel really good and really speaks to you. And you know, allow yourself to really just like enjoy other people's art. And I guess in a way, like use that as a mirror of like, what kind of art do I want to bring to the world? Because I, I think that's, I don't know, definitely something that, you know, helped me realize the kind of art I want to make is like, just like being really impacted by other artists um, who, yeah, who I felt like, damn, that would be really cool if I could make anything even a little bit like that. I think that's a great piece of advice. And something that someone's going to respond positively to and not be like, okay. <laughs> Are you sure? Oh, my God. All right. Okay. I guess. I guess. Um, if you would like to, well, two things we talked about today, if you want to, listener, go um, check those out. We talked about an article that Shana wrote in Salty World. Um. Yeah, I think that's what it's called. Salty is just what I call it. Oh, okay. But I think on Instagram, they're Salty World. Salty World on, oh, that's what I was talking about. Yeah, Salty World on Instagram. And she has an article in there. Uh, what is the article called? Um, I think it's called My Non-Binary Tits and Their Many Sizes. Hell yes. <laughs> we also talked about Shay's film Reasons to Stay. Mm-hmm. Where can people watch Reasons to Stay? Yeah, so Reasons to Stay is not currently available to watch anywhere, but it will absolutely be available to watch just for free online sometime soon. Um, But you can follow Reasons to Stay underscore film. We'll definitely post there when it's available. Yeah, and I mean, you could watch Honey, which I don't think we talked about, but... We didn't. More Queer Joy, though. Honey is big Queer Joy vibes. It's a music video for an amazing dear friend and artist named Jenny Kwan. Shout out Jenny. So yeah, you could watch that for free on YouTube. I don't know, Google Honey by Jenny Kwan. And your social media? My social media is at Mammoth Sprite. At Mammoth Sprite, as we talked about. Yeah. Also, as we're shouting out all these people, um, shout out to Drew. True. Shout out to Drew. Provided us some, with some very important audio equipment last yes. minute today. Thanks, Drew. We Thanks, love you. Drew. I love you. <laughs> all right, Shana. It's been an absolute joy. Fun, good ass time talking to you in a recorded fashion today. I've always wanted to record our conversations. Thank God. Finally, somebody so people did it. can hear all the amazing things we have to say. <laughs> um, you're amazing. I love you. Listener, thanks for hanging out with us. Peace out.
So there you go. Do you see why I was fangirling now? We can all go watch Reasons to Stay. We can all go watch the music video Honey by Jenny Kwan. We can all go buy a ticket to the Secret Circus and hop aboard the Mammoth Sprite fandom train with me. Thank you for hanging out with us this whole time. And if you liked the episode or found something especially inspiring, you can send us a message on Instagram at the pal community. And let's talk. Let's connect. If you have suggestions for topics you'd like me to cover on the show, send me a message there too. Let's talk about it. I'd love to hear it. I'd love to know how I can best support your growth. That is what I'm about. That is what PAL is here for. If you want to support PAL, you can follow us on Instagram, as I just said, at the PAL community and or preferably and give the podcast a rating and review on Apple podcasts or a rating on Spotify because it helps other people find the show and get some of that good positivity, authenticity, and love in their life. Thanks again for listening. I hope you have an amazing day and I'll talk to you soon. Every day, every day.